you know, you don't have to be a radical. You don't have to be a white guy in spandex. You can just be a normal everyday citizen of the city. If somebody explains the concept of induced demand to you and the effect of the way we live now on our social fabric, on climate change, on our happiness level, all of a sudden things click. That person may not become a diehard bike advocate. That's fine. More people need to know about it and more people will start to care. What do you do all day? <laughs> what do I do all day? That's a great question these days. Um, my day job has always been starting different technology companies and startups. I'm in between companies right now. So I'm playing with new ideas in the for-profit world. And I spend a lot of time in the nonprofit world um, trying to get the right, right people elected to city council and trying to make sure people in the city know about projects that might impact them and just growing streets for all in general. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, which, which one is taking, is taking off more is how street, like, uh, I think streets for all is kind of, um, got a life of its own. Yeah. If streets for all were a for-profit company, I'd be doing very well and we'd probably be raising our series B by now. Um, mm -hmm. it pays me and everyone else on the steering committee, absolutely nothing, but it's obviously very rewarding. Yeah. Doing a lot of stuff. And so I was kind of, I thought I was kind of trying to, uh, pitch you the idea that I guess I've always had, and it seems like everybody's always had, which is a network of protected bike lanes or bike freeways kind of, you know, that we feel like we ought to have or need to have in LA and to get around safely. And you said, you want to tell me what you responded? Well, the plan exists is what I responded. And I sent you a link to a Google map that Streets for All made that shows the city's 2035 mobility plan, which is part of the city of Los Angeles's general plan now, um, overlaid on top of a Google map. And there's different layers, so you can break it down by bus lanes, protected bike lanes, unprotected bike lanes, et cetera. Um, so the plan is there. Everything that you want is technically in the city's plan. Of course, the rub is that it has to be implemented. And that's where the rubber hits the road. But the at least the way you have it, it's, it's simple, it's easy to see. And the, the actual mobility plan is 200 pages long. And I don't know if wh where, what, what you have, this interactive map, is there anything like that actually in the, the document that that, that that is? Yeah, so I agree with you. I think the mobility plan, the 200 page plan is very user unfriendly. There's very few people in Los Angeles that are gonna spend the time to read a 200 page document, um, but we did. And the, towards the end of it, you have different maps. They have what's called the Bicycle Enhanced Network. They even have a page that's called the Car Enhanced Network, which to me, the whole city is a car enhanced network. So I'm very interested in what they have planned in the Car Enhanced Network. But what we've done in the Google map is simply simplified everything. We have taken all of the mobility plans intentions and um, streets and sort of translated mobility plan speak 
because people get confused between tier tier one bike lanes, tier four bike lanes. They mean different things in different contexts and simplified all of that and put it on a Google map. So the Google map link that I sent you that's been viewed close to 10,000 times um, is simply the same thing that's in that 200 page document, but much easier to digest. So even this is not perfect. I mean, the mobility plan still would leave you kind of stranded in certain places. But it's definitely not perfect. Um, but it would be a huge leap forward compared to where we are today. But I agree with you. There's a lot of flaws. And actually, it's interesting. Um, usually, the mobility justice argument, aside from policing and, and biking, and that's a whole other topic, is that the resources go to uh, wealthier, whiter parts of the city. In this case, and I'll give you a specific example, uh, there was a bike lane on Westwood Boulevard connecting UCLA and the Expo line that UCLA very much wanted in the mobility plan, in the draft of it. And there were a few wealthy homeowners that did not want that. And Paul Koretz listens to wealthy homeowners. And he made a motion to remove the Westwood Boulevard bike lane from the mobility plan before they actually passed the plan. So if, if you zoom out and look at it um, citywide, the network is actually not terrible in South LA, East LA, the Valley. It gets really bad when you get into the wealthier slash whiter parts of Los Angeles, um, where home ownership is probably higher and where the idea of reallocating space to bike lanes is way less popular or they have the resources to fight it a lot more. And so the mobility plan where it's lacking the most is in the wealthier parts of the city and there's just massive holes in it. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, doesn't do much good in like anywhere in Beverly Hills or... Well, remember Beverly this is a city Hills. of LA mobility plan. So it's not gonna oh, have right. anything in the city of Beverly Hills, the city of West Hollywood, but um, yeah, either way, well, so, it's not, not great. So Westwood and Brentwood are part of LA? Westwood and Brentwood are areas in Los Angeles. So is Venice. But you have something going through Culver City to, I guess, Venice. What, what is that no, street? We don't. That's Venice Boulevard. And it, within, except for a few hundred feet, it's entirely in the city of Los Angeles. You've, so you've got these several overlaid maps, right? And I'm just looking at the protected bike lane map because I figure that's, you know, for everybody, for all the vulnerable road users for 8 to 80 to use, that's what you would need, right? And Venice yeah, they don't even all connect with each other which is frustrating right but it's a start and at least we can point to this and say you all agreed to this yes and that's uh what streets for all does a lot but it is every single time an uphill battle um i've been trying to present the so san vicente boulevard between um actually the whole stretch of it um so where san vicente begins at venice boulevard to where it ends at the beverly hills border and the West Hollywood border has a protected bike lane on it. Um, trying to get the city to implement this requires, or not requires, but the, the status quo is you go to neighborhood councils and you try to build community support. Um, San Vicente Boulevard is a highway. It has three lanes on each side, plus parking, plus a center turn lane in a median that used to be a red car route. So including the parking, and the center turn lane, 
you have nine vehicle traffic lanes. This thing is a highway. And what's unique about San Vicente is that um, it's very residential as opposed to other major streets. There's a lot of homes on there and apartment buildings. And also um, it carries fewer cars than Pico does with two extra lanes compared to Pico at rush hour. So it really is a very good candidate to implement the city's mobility plan, but that would require uh, going from three lanes to two in each direction, which is pretty much every major LA street has two lanes in each direction plus parking center turn lane. Trying to get the neighborhood council to even consider this has been extremely difficult. And this is the status quo. In Carthay Circle, um, going north of Olympic between Olympic and Wilshire on uh, San Vicente, again, this is on the mobility plan. They, uh, there's many people there that just don't want it. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you make progress in a city where we don't pay attention to our own plans by default and each little segment has to be fought for and each little segment has to get approval from the council office. That's hard. Yeah. And so what's the answer? You just keep fighting? <laughs> Well, there's a bunch of answers. Um, the biggest one that street, at the macro level, the one that Streets for All focuses on is changing the city council and getting people that are friendly to the cause. I'm very excited about Kevin DeLeon, who was just sworn in yesterday. Um, I think he will be a really good advocate in- CD4. 14. 14, right? Yeah. Um, I'm very excited about Nithya Rahman. I think she has a real shot at winning, which would be a political earthquake in Los Angeles because it is so hard to even get into a runoff when, with an incumbent, let alone win against one. But this is the first time that our city election is at the same time as a federal election. So that a lot more people are gonna be voting and I think Nithya has a very good shot. And if that happened, it would send the message to other council members that they can't just pay attention to wealthier homeowners that dictate policy and they have to pay attention to the whole district. It would, be a, it would be a big deal. Um, so politically, what, what do we need to do? We need to elect the right people. Aside from that, we need to break down barriers. Um, fix the City, which you probably have heard of and which Streets for All put out a video on this week, is a very um, litigious organization that constantly sues the city over progressive transit and housing developments and is holding us back. So we need to let everyone know, most people have never heard of Fix the City. We need to let everyone know what, what they do and that their actions have consequences. And we need to fight back because our entire city cannot be held hostage to an organization. Another one is Keep LA Moving, of course. Those are two peas in a pod. And these guys just think that the city is the same power structure and same desires as the 1980s. And so we should just stay there but I don't think that is where the city is at. And the more people that are aware of these issues and aware of the activities that the organizations like this take to hold us back, the better. Um, and the last thing I'll say is uh, Senate Bill 288 was just signed by Governor Newsom, I wanna say last week or the week before. And that's a yeah. big deal. Most people don't realize that CEQA, um, the California Environmental Quality Act, um, applied to bike lanes, which is just so counterintuitive because by definition, a bike lane is environmentally friendly and it's for every bike that's going by, that's someone that's not driving and emitting greenhouse gases. But bike lane projects were subject to CEQA 
and that was really slow and laborious and expensive. Uh, Senate Bill 288 fixed that. So now um, certain transit projects, rail projects, as well as bike lanes are not subject to CEQA. And that should help speed things up as well. And that's only temporary, right? But, there, but it might get continued? What is temporary? Well, the 288, the, the new law of, uh, suspending CEQA for uh, environmentally beneficial projects like bike lanes. That's, it's only for two years, but we talked, we did an interview with Scott Weiner and um, Laura Freeman, and they were saying, I think he said that it, even though it's only for two years, it could be extended. I wasn't aware it was temporary. Um, oh, here we go. So the bill extends it to January 1st, 2030. Oh. Um, so we've got 10 years. And um, great. And, you know, I, I expect, I mean, California as a whole, at least on paper, is going in the direction of Green New Deal. We need to think differently. We can't just keep building highways and widening highways, even though we still do it. So I would be shocked if this wasn't extended or just made permanent. Wow. Yeah, speaking of the direction California's going in, um, is, is victory just inevitable for us, do you think? Yeah, but I just want to be still young <laughs> enough to be able to ride my bike. <laughs> um, I, what I like about this work is I feel like we're on the right side of history. I know we are, because you can mm -hmm. see case studies from cities around the world. You know, Amsterdam wasn't always Amsterdam. In the 60s, it looked very much like Los Angeles does today. Cars absolutely everywhere. And what happened was um, some school children were killed trying to get to school safely and people were really upset. And they were up in arms. And over decades, they changed policies and incentives and thinking to have a different society. Um, there's other more enlightened places. I mean, Denmark uh, is incredible. There's over 60% of trips into central Copenhagen are done by bicycle. So we are on the right side of history. Um, whether it's the climate change angle, that's the big one. And cars are the single biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions and transportation, which as a category is the single biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions in general. Um, so that has to change. But even if you're just sick of sitting in traffic or if you want your children to have a more tactile human scale experience of the city, it could even solve policing. If, if police officers were on bicycles, they would be a hell of a lot more approachable by people and they would see the community more and be connected to the community more than behind a windshield in a suburban. So um, I really think, you know, it's not hyperbolic to say that the bicycle can solve a lot of the world's woes. And so we're on the right side of history. I just want history to go move faster. Um, the good news is, I mean, San Francisco, within the last 12 months, closed Market Street to private cars. That is the equivalent of Los Angeles closing Wilshire Boulevard to private cars. It's a huge deal. Um, New York City, in the last 15 years, the progress they made has been incredible. Uh, Minneapolis, Boulder, uh, cities in Texas. I mean, Austin is looking great. So, you know, progress is all around us. It's just a matter of time. I know old habits are hard to change. And this city really, really loves its cars and loves the idea of free parking and expanding freeways. But, you know, I think a lot of this is just education. Um, it's very logical for somebody to say, oh, of course we should expand the 405. 
because if you have the same amount of cars and we add a lane on each side, traffic will improve. That's logical. Mm-hmm. And they're right if the same amount of cars was there. But mm-hmm. we know about induced demand. We know that if we make driving easier and, and there's less barriers to it, more cars will come. And so we can make the 405 20 lanes and all 20 lanes would be gummed up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So if we know that, then you know there, there are no options. I don't think there's a desire, even among the most ardent um, people that drive cars in the city to double deck the 405, to double deck Wilshire Boulevard. No one wants to live in that. So if we're out of room to expand car space and we don't want traffic to get worse, we don't want our air to get worse, what do we do? And the only option is making public transit more accessible and easier and bike lanes. Those are the only two ways to go. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to be a transportation engineer to say there's a finite amount of space and cars take up a lot of space to move very few people. And we need solutions that, that move a lot of people in very little space. And those mm-hmm. are things like bus lanes and bike lanes. Well, what I like about your simplification of, the, of LA's mobility plan for 2035, so we still have 15 years. Yeah, but we're not on pace. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it, is it paced out? Is, it like, does it, is there something that says no? No, there's no implementation plan for this. But keep in mind, the mobility plan is a suggestion. It is not a law. It's not an ordinance. If the city ignored this entire plan, they'd be going against their own plan, but there would be no legal consequences to it. They don't have to implement it. And that is part of the problem, frankly. Um, other cities that have plans, if you think, oh, a city has a plan, the city should implement its own plan. And it's just not an automatic here. So um, we need to knock down barriers to get plans implemented. And frankly, I mean, if you know anything about our council system, which I know you do, um, council members have so much power to say what they do and don't want in their districts. It makes a plan like this almost impossible. Um, when you're biking around town, the average person isn't thinking, oh, I'm in CD 14 right now. I just crossed into CD one. Now I'm in council district 10. No mm-hmm. one thinks that way. But if you notice a bike lane suddenly strands you somewhere in the city and then picks up maybe a mile away, it could be because that council member in that gap didn't want a bike lane. And, and that is an insane amount of power to give one council member when we're trying to build a network around the city. That really does have to change. Yeah, and I, I think that's something very few people really realize is what's going on at that level. Um, just like I think very few people probably know even the term induced demand. Um, and that's why I think that, that making a map like this uh, of what the city agreed to uh, in terms of protected bike lanes um, can be powerful because I don't think anybody knows about this. And, you know, if I almost think that there's probably a few things that should be on a small laminated card you know, like the definition of induced demand, your, your right, the legal code that says, do you have the right to take the lane? Um, and this map that LA agreed to uh, of uh, protected bike lanes and just hammer those, hammer these things. Uh, I guess it's called education. I think it's called education. There's other stuff you could do. You, you could, um, 
for example, do something with the DMV. So if you renew your driver's license in the city of Los Angeles, you get a little, you know, thin cutout saying, by the way, this is, this is the plan. Um, and here, here are the things to think about when you're driving. Uh, watch out for cyclists, three foot rule for passing, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that could be done. Uh, in general, I just think that we need to tell people about this stuff because you know, you don't have to be a radical. You don't have to be a white guy in spandex. You can just be a normal everyday citizen of the city. And if somebody explains the concept of induced demand to you and the effect of the way we live now on our social fabric, on climate change, on our happiness level, all of a sudden things click and that person may not become a diehard bike advocate. That's fine. I, 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 just think that more people need to know about it and more people will start to care. Yeah, and so we're voting on November 3rd. I can't vote for Nithya. What, anything I can do in this, in this vote in my, in my district? What district are no, you in? I'm in the Gil Cedillo's district. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, you can phone bank, uh, you can text yeah. message, you can donate, you can get others to do all of that. Um, those are the things you can do. We have a team, an awesome team of people that are, text banking, uh, people in Council District 4 are trying to get commitments, trying to educate. Um, we are sending a mailer to 15,000 homes in Sherman Oaks, um, contrasting their policies, and we're releasing videos and paying to promote them in Council District 4. So we're doing everything we can, and uh, the race is getting pretty ugly. Uh, David, David Rue is slinging all sorts of mud at Nithia. Um, and frankly, just making up stuff. The Los Feliz ledger is up to, up to games. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We're only uh, two weeks and change away. All right. Well, thanks for talking to us. And, uh, and how's your bike life going right now? My bike life is, uh, is great. I ride my kids to school. I uh, bike to every appointment I have. Uh, tomorrow I'll bike for fun and bike up to Mulholland and do that. I, you know, it's my therapy right now during COVID. I saw you uh, chip in at uh, Bike LA about about how to get to uh, how to get to Malibu from downtown. I think it was you had a good route. Yeah, um, I've um I've been car free for nine years. I mean. My wife and I have a car and I'll get in it when she makes me, but in general, I just bike. So I feel like even in addition to what Google Maps has, I mean, Google Maps thinks Vine is a bike route only because it has Sharrows and it's not. <laughs> um, so I think that on the ground experience can, can really help. All right. Well, we'll talk to you uh, again and when something else comes up and, or if, even if nothing comes up, November 3rd, I'm stocking up. We're going to stock up on food and water uh, because of the big one. But uh, also, I really hope Nithya gets in. That'd be great. I was joking with someone the other day. I'm, I'm not sure how I would feel emotionally if uh, Nithya had won and Trump won. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's, hope, let's hope that uh, you know the big one and the local one uh, go the way they need to. That would be like Pandora's box with hope hope with pestilence and 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 death yeah yeah all right Good talk thanks to you, michael man. streets for all talk to you later okay. i rise in the morning and greet the day pull out the bike and i'm on my way the transportation shows
I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Queen of the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 